Hi, everybody. This is Mike Sugarman, producer of Reimagining the Internet. This will be the first episode in our new interview series, How the Internet Was Imagined, exploring the history of internet communities. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Reimagining the Internet from the Initiative for Digital Public Infrastructure at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. We're talking to researchers, techies, activists, academics, and journalists about what's wrong with the internet and how to fix it. I'm your host, Ethan Zuckerman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Reimagining the Internet. Uh, I cannot tell you how pleased I am today um, to have with me my friend Omar Wasau. Omar, uh, until very, very recently, has been an assistant professor of politics at Princeton University. Um, He's just moved to Pomona College. Uh, The West Coast gain is the East Coast loss. Um, Omar is someone whose work I've been fascinated with for literally decades, because before he became um, really one of the most insightful and methodologically apt uh, political scientists out there, uh, he was an internet pioneer. And uh, I want to start the conversation there. But first of all, Omar, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be, uh, you know, know, the the feeling of admiration is mutual. So um, I am excited to to, to have this conversation with you and And, grateful for the opportunity. And we should disclose, Omar and I have known each other for for decades. Uh, Omar's uh, wonderful and amazing and spectacular wife, Jen Brea, is uh, someone that I've advised and worked with in the past. So uh, if if this feels like old friends talking, there may be a reason behind that one. But um, in in introducing my old friend, I, I want to talk about Black Planet. Omar, what was Black Planet and what is Black Planet? Yeah, so in September of 1999, it's like, it's, 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 uh, you know, ancient history of internet terms, um, we launched an online community uh, for African Americans. Um, and I think just to take people back to that moment, um, what's hard to appreciate is that in that era of, uh, the internet, um, the dominant story was the information superhighway, right? It was Al Gore and like the internet was going to be this giant encyclopedia, right? So like the, what, what, what people were excited about, uh, was, you know, a kind of massive, uh, Wikipedia kind of thing, which of course Wikipedia is awesome, but the social dimension of the internet was this, this not even an afterthought. It wasn't, it wasn't even considered really like part of what was, um, the promise of the internet. This was and, a this was a reference library, not a bar. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so what what I was kind of trying to champion uh, with some of my work was like the internet as a supper club, exactly yeah. as you're saying, not as a superhighway. And and it's also important to appreciate, right, that if we think about like some of the underlying technology, right, we we go to a web page, right. This was fundamentally like the 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 kind of both technical and conceptual metaphor was like books. And so you really had to hack it to make it social. Um, right, and right. what what we did at this company, Community Connect, that was running a network of uh, you know Asian American, African American, Latino focused websites, was to build from scratch technology that allowed this very, um, in some ways, anti-social technology to become social. And 
And this yeah. is a moment in 99. So we have the web, right? The web um, is invented in 89, but it really comes to public consciousness around 93, 94. Um, you know, my company, Tripod, sort of hits its apex around 98. And it's absolutely a page-based paradigm, right? We're trying to be social, but the idea is you have a web page, and that is your presence, and that's sort of the extent of the sociability. How, how does Black Planet differ from that? What are the what are the spaces in which people are interacting on Black Planet? So that's a, 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 a what I love about that question is the specificity, right? So they're like they're like a handful of really um, key in some ways tr small they would be they, they would seem trivial now um but really powerful from a kind of experiential standpoint things that we built so a tiny example is you might go i might go visit your page at black planet and if you had just logged in right you were active on the site there'll be an asterisk next to your name um and from a technical standpoint that meant every page was being dynamically built um, which was like computationally really demanding. Yeah. Um, but it meant that people felt like, oh, I'm not alone here. Um, and, you know, and early on in the first couple of weeks, a friend of mine said, you know, it's so impressive that when I go to your homepage, it says, you know, there are a thousand people on Black Planet now, but don't you worry that like, that seems like not that many, right? And, and you know, we were like, well, you know, it was a hundred a week ago, it's a thousand this week. And, it, you know, it just took off. It, and the kind of demands computationally of that were such that like we just had this process we we had a we'd set aside a million dollars of a marketing budget to try and like you know generate outreach and we had to freeze that because the the, the growth was so fast we had to put everything into servers to kind of handle that kind of demand and so the point being just that um part of why it hadn't been done was that it was like it was like technically quite hard. Um, there were other things like we built our own little instant messaging app mm. um, that allowed people to have like live dynamic conversation again, built entirely out of like web pages. Um, we had other elements that, you know, are, are, are quite common, but weren't always a kind of standard part of a web page message boards. You could, you could, you could sign somebody's uh, guest book. Right. And, um, and all of those elements together, I guess the, the last thing I would say that really mattered from a technical standpoint was that there were definitely tools that allowed you to do each of these things that other people had built. They hadn't all been integrated into one relatively seamless platform, um, except on services like America Online, where you were paying $20 a month. And so we were offering a kind of a free, uh, highly social alternative on the web. And it just, uh, you know, and, and so for people, particularly groups like college students who had access to fast internet, it just took off like wildfire. So it wasn't necessarily any one particular technical innovation. In many ways, it was sort of taking things that we'd seen on the web, things that we'd seen on dial-up services. Of course, in, in many ways, you, you'd worked on some of these dial-up services earlier. You had worked on New York Online. How did, how did that relate uh, to, this, to this whole development of Black Planet? Yeah, so you know the the, the there's this moment, a kind of golden age for those of us of a of a certain age of bulletin board services, right? Yeah. And so pre-web, the social internet, um, that, that sort of you know it's not really the internet at that point, but the, the the kind of the social online medium is 
um, dialing into a computer and often a hobbyist's home that might have, you know, anywhere from two to 20 phone lines. Um, and the most famous of those were services like uh, The Well um, in New York. There was one called Echo. Mm -hmm. um, and they were they were built around social interaction. Um, and but they 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 kind of sit in this slightly intermediate space because they they weren't connected to the internet typically, except maybe for limited email. Um, and they were often text-based. So the interface is like super kind of, uh, you know, demands a fairly yeah. uh, committed user. Um, and, and, and that whole history just sort of disappears once the web takes off and, and even AOL gets kind of, you know, knocked out um, as the kind of the largest bulletin board service we had. But, but what's important about that history is that's where the kind of proof of concept of like a social online medium uh, uh, was, was, was demonstrated, right? That actually and what really matters is interaction with other people. There's enormous amounts of literature around this, right? I mean, we've got folks like Howard Reingold sort of writing some of these first celebrations of internet community. And those are not web communities. Those are these text-based communities like The Well uh, and, and like something like New York Online. Yeah, that's right. And so so, so it's partly, so, so I mean, I think there's kind of two dimensions to which this early bulletin board service world matter. One is that that's where I cut my teeth, right? So my dad comes home with one of the early Macs, like the one uh, behind your shoulder, and has <laughs> ta-da, has uh, a 1200 baud modem. Um, this is you know mid 80s. Um, and this is you know I'm totally geeking out here, but but indulge me, right? Like this is you know. The, the 1200 baud at the time was was as fast as you got, but like as other people had 300, but it meant that text loaded slowly and it was awesome, but it was like, you know, the, 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 the idea that you were going to download a photo was just inconceivable, right, let alone video. And so in that world, like what's really, what's exciting? What's exciting is interaction. Um, and that's that can be very engaging and low bandwidth. Um, and so, so that's partly where I kind of learned, like what, 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 what pops online is when I was a kid going, joining online bulletin board services. And then I came out of college and was like, you know, I didn't see anything that was a multicultural online community in a way that like really tried to plant a flag as like, this is who we are. Um, and so that led to me um, about a year after college starting a service called uh, New York Online that, you know, was 20 phone lines into my <laughs> Brooklyn apartment. Oh, wow. um, the, uh, the the phone company <laughs> thought I was running a, a phone sex operation because uh -huh. they were like, you know, what, what? why would you want 20 phone lines? And I'm like, this is this is not an apartment where I could fit 20 people. Um, and so, you know, this was a this was a bootstrap kind of operation. But it was, again, an, an opportunity to test this idea that like what really is powerful is connection with other people. And it's not to say that information isn't also really vital and valuable, um, but it's not the only thing that that, that 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 moves people online. And in fact, it may be um, that 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 information is kind of second or third order as compared with connection. So um, so that was you know another period where we were running this highly um, you know our, the the um, each each kind of of these bulletin board services had its own identity and ours our kind of metaphor was we're like the subway we're a network mm. that connects the whole city 
right? And that's like that was really important to me. Um, and I think it's also I'll just like one other kind of you know going back in time sort yeah. of memory is that it, it's also important to appreciate that at this moment the black community is thought of like one of the dominant stories about black folk in the internet is the digital divide, and so like even friends of mine who are you know lawyers or bankers were like you know who wants to go online to talk to each other why wouldn't you just pick up a telephone right i mean it just didn't make sense to people that this was like a profoundly social medium particularly um outside of the the kind of most kind of techie communities um and so so there was a process of kind of like educating the world about how you know magical online social media could be um, and that that was part of what I learned in running Black Planet and kind of helping, sorry, running New York Online. And that kind of laid the groundwork for then as the web took off um, in the mid 90s to sort of say, OK, well, let's let's kind of rethink this idea of multicultural online community, but rebuilt from the ground up for the web. And, and I really want to lean on that question of multicultural, right, because there's there's a lot being written uh, about sort of internet community um, in the mid-1990s. Uh, you know, you've got people sort of celebrating this idea that we have this spaceless space, we have no boundaries, it doesn't matter who you are, and the internet no one knows if you're a dog. And, and of course, this is all um, very standard um you know, sort of dominant paradigm white assuming rhetoric, right? Like it's a lot of pale males assuming that everyone else's experience is just like theirs and that um, these are automatically welcoming spaces to women, to people of color, so on and so forth. And, and in fact, they're, they're quite actively not in many cases. Um, it's not necessarily that these are inherently racist or biased spaces, but they're also not making an outreach and looking for people of color, looking for people with different experiences. It's more this assumption that if we just have a common ground, the world is now equal on a level playing field. What, what sort of feedback did you get in creating an explicitly black space online sort of at the moment that you're opening this up? It's a great question. And so I think, I think you're exactly right that there is a, um, you know, part of the, the, the fascination with the internet was that it was sort of this disembodied space and by extension, therefore somehow kind of identity free. Um, and, um, and so there was a kind of for 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 you know for potential investors and some people in the media a real puzzle of like why launch a black online community um and i think what 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 helped people understand was um uh, you know as, as one way of thinking about how kind of pluralism might work on the internet and 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 by that i mean we sort of pitched black planet as a kind of base camp for people mm-hmm. Right, that, that that like the idea was not that your whole internet experience was going to be Black Planet, um, but that you also needed to have a place you felt at home and comfortable. Mm, and okay. so, so base camp meant that you could come, and this is a place where you would feel, um, you know, like not just welcome, but sort of like 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 uh, there would be all sorts of things that are really particular to your 
lived experience that are kind of celebrated. Um, but of course, nobody lives on one site on the internet. People were going and exploring the rest of the internet too. And so, so, um, so one thing that I think helped the kind of non-Black world understand what Black Planet could do is to say, well, you know, we're we're helping to bring a generation of African-Americans online, and that's going to help make the internet as a whole better. Um, and, um, but also that, that, that like what, what a kind of thriving pluralistic world and thriving pluralistic internet means is not that we all have disembodied experiences that are kind of disconnected from any sense of self. Um, you know, some people love photography and they go to online photography communities. Some people love, um, you know, country music and they go to country music communities. And, 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 and so like, like, a uh, kind of a racial, ethnic, cultural community is another kind of like deeply powerful experience in people's lives, and like those are places that um, that, that 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 need watering holes too. Um, and so, 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 I mean, there was pushback, but I think people were also at some level understood that like real world communities are going to want places to hang out online, and and that we were trying to really do that in a way that was welcoming. And of course, part of this was, you know, this is pre-Facebook, right? So, and and of course, when Facebook starts, it doesn't actually want to conquer the whole world. Facebook begins as a network for college students at elite universities, right? It's it's Harvard and then probably Princeton next and so on and so forth. Um, this notion of here is a service that is open to everyone and we all use the same tools, that's actually not the dominant notion at the time that you're building Black Planet. I, I believe the network sells in, in 2008. Is that right? Yeah. So, and, and at that point, it's the fourth largest social network on the web. It's a big deal. I mean, Facebook has, has formed then, MySpace is out there. Um, why was this so successful? And, and, and why was that the right time to step back from it? Yeah, so it's it's. Um, I mean, it, it gets helpful to just underline a couple of the points you made, which you know, for people who've come of age with Facebook as the dominant site, um, or you know, Facebook and Twitter and a couple of others, um, that that this is an era where it's 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 much more that you know it's churning, right? And so we've got like lots of different sites coming and going. There, you know, you mentioned Tripod, and there's ones like there's one called the Globe that came and went in the early two thousands. Even you know SixDegrees.com. We want to go way back. GeoCities, right? and, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and so, so it's like there's this, and this is a kind of classic pattern we see on the internet is that there are lots of people experimenting. Um, and then there's a kind of convergence to, you know, a few dominant players. Um, and, um, and so what, what, what happened, so in 2005, I actually went back to graduate school. Like, I felt like in some ways um, we had done a lot of what I had hoped to do, which is to kind of help get a generation of black folk online, get them excited about these technologies, get them excited about learning HTML to trick out their home pages. Um, and the learning curve had kind of flattened for me. And so I went, I went back to school. And um, and so in 2008, the world, as you noted, was starting to, you know, Facebook was essentially sucking a lot of the air out of uh, the, or, or of the social world. Um, 
And so that in that period of consolidation, it made sense for Black Planet to join a larger company. And so we were acquired by a media company called Radio One that had a focus on serving African-Americans in both radio and television. And so we became the internet arm of a kind of multimedia focused company or multi-channel focused company targeting kind of urban slash African-American audiences. So interestingly enough, Black Planet has sort of rebooted and relaunched. Uh, the, the, this is sort of a post um, George Floyd, like a need for that home base, that base camp that, that you were talking about. Have you been involved at all in the reboot or, you know, any any thoughts on it? So I haven't been involved in the reboot, but I get asked on Twitter all the time, like, could we, could we, you know, like, like, I mean, I think the thing that's really important that, that help might help again, going back to this question about like, what, what role does a site like Black Planet serve and to, you know, by extension, any sort of niche focused site. And that is that there's, um, I think we, we often think of, uh, the internet as being a technology where kind of the more people you, you know, there's this idea of increasing returns, right? So the core idea of increasing returns is that as more people use something, it gets better. That's not true for all technologies, but for a lot of um, information technologies, that's true, right? Where the classic example is like, you're the only one in the world who has an email address, it's not very useful. Absolutely. But as more people come online and use email, your email becomes more more useful, right? Um, and so for, um, for a lot of social tools, right? Like, you know, I don't know, something like we could think about um, eBay, right? It's a, if it's a kind of commercial marketplace, the more buyers there are, the better it is for you as a seller or vice versa. Um, but with niche communities, that actually doesn't entirely work out, right? There can be decreasing returns okay. because if you have, I mean, just to pick a simple example, if people are discussing, you know, I don't know, their their uh, their favorite Lebanese restaurants, right? And it's a, it's a Lebanese community and they really know their Lebanese restaurants. If you have a bunch of people who are kind of like the tourists who are like, oh yeah, I, you know, I went to a Lebanese restaurant once and so here's this place. Like actually the quality of discussion can go down, right? And so you get this decreasing return. And, and, and that's like a core problem of uh, a lot of social experiences on the internet is that like they get really big. <laughs> it's sort of the um, uh, I'm forgetting. I think it's a Yogi Berra line, right? That uh, that bar no, nobody goes there anymore. Nobody that bar goes is too, there. It's so crowded. <laughs> yeah, it's too crowded, right? And so and so you see that with even something like Facebook, right? It's so successful that like you see young people kind of exiting to something like Snapchat, right? It's like they don't want to hang out where their grandparents are. They don't want to hang out where their parents are. Um, and so you can get that kind of not it's not just an increasing returns dynamic it can be a decreasing returns dynamic and so all of which is to say that niche sites have real value because when people have a kind of shared experience a shared expertise the quality of conversation can be quite different can be uh, much better and and that's true for you know for, for for super narrow communities you know people who are into a certain kind of crypto or something but it's also true of really broad um kind of you know uh cultural communities. And, um, and so, so I think the, the, the need for a black planet in a global internet remains as strong today as it was 20 years ago. Um, it's just in some ways harder to do successfully now because Facebook is so dominant, because um, it's, it's, you know, the, 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 the niches are sort of in some ways being subsumed by these larger uh, uh, enterprises. 
I, I actually want to suggest this as, as Wasso's corollary to Metcalf's law, right? So Metcalf's <laughs> law is this idea that a network's value is proportional to the square of the number of the nodes in the network, right? So, you know, one email address is not very helpful, uh, but once you've got 10 email addresses, you have 100 connections and so on and so forth. What you're suggesting, and I think you're absolutely right, is that at a certain point, expanding the network actually may be decreasing the value in certain ways. Uh, and what you're probably doing is you're spreading out the expertise, you may be lessening the value of any particular contributions, and that having sort of niche-focused networks, in some cases, um, might actually be a, a more sort of valuable space. I've been describing this as small as beautiful, but you've actually sort of, you know, come up with a specific reason why that that might be the case, um, which is which is particularly fascinating to hear. Are are there niche networks for communities of color that you find yourself following and paying attention to today, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's the, the newly revived Black Planet, are, are there or, or are those not the communities where, where you're looking for the connection and support at the moment? So, you know, I think part of what's also happened in the last maybe decade or so is as Facebook has become ascendant, some of those communities have moved to different kind of platforms. So, so there are email lists I'm a part of that capture some of that uh, community. Um, some of that is much more both present but diffuse on services like Twitter, um, where there's very much a kind of strong Black voice on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it doesn't quite have the, um, you know, it's it's, not, it, it's tightly networked in some ways, but it's also like, you know, you're again, you're, you're part of this kind of large global conversation still. Um, and so it's, it, it's, it's not, there's not one locus in the way that maybe Black Planet was 20 years ago. Um, and, and, you know, and I think we will, I think what gives me some hope about kind of the, the opportunity for niche networks to grow is that in, when we launched Black Planet, the, uh, you know, a classic example of like how hard this was, was we had a, uh, we, we bought an industrial strength, one terabyte drive, right? Which at the time was just like inconceivably large. That cost us a hundred thousand dollars, right? It's now, you know, a hundred bucks at Costco, um, maybe less. And, um, and, and, and they just like a lot of the infrastructure that we needed, we had to cobble together by hand, um, and so there are more and more kind of off the shelf open source, like you can do an instance of Facebook with open source software that's kind of a white label Facebook platform, right? Um, and so I think it's possible that we will see more um, Thousand Flowers bloom in the future in the way that the bulletin boards era had ha allowed as well. Um, but, but right now it's still hard because everybody sort of has their friend networks on, you know, maybe it's Instagram or maybe it's Facebook or maybe it's Twitter, but it's like getting people out of those networks um, is going to be hard, except where there's like really um, powerful um, um, kind of, you know, niches. Right. Trying to figure out how we, how we beat that lock-in because of course, no one wants to lose those high school friends or grandma or so on and so forth, but also those conversations that can happen in those niche networks really are special and are powerful. Um, 
Omar Wasa, what a what a pleasure and what a joy to connect, um, you know, history going back to the 1990s with some of these issues that are just incredibly fresh today. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Ethan. A real pleasure. And uh, yeah, look, look, look forward to our next conversation. Reimagining the Internet is hosted by me, Ethan Zuckerman, and produced by Mike Sugarman, who also composed this music. Follow us at publicinfrastructure.org to learn more about what we're up to at the Initiative for Digital Public Infrastructure, and please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it.